Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to The Voyages, a Star Trek podcast about the Kirks and their crews from the original series and the Kelvin films. I'm Allie Black, and hosting with me today are Chris Hill and Mike Burse. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. How about yourself, guys? Oh, pretty good. Really good. So to keep up to date on all the news and updates from The Voyages, be sure to follow The Voyages pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, subscribe and leave us a review whenever you listen to your podcast. This week, we are going to be talking about an essential episode, Devil in the Dark, Season 1, Episode 25, written by Gene Kuhn and directed by Joseph Peavy. So, without further ado, I will pass the discussion to Mike to get us started. Yes, this, this episode, I went and did a little research. I like to look at the production and what's got into it. And there were a few interesting things that happened during the film in this episode and just around it as well. So actually on the original episode when it was aired March 9th, 1967, they announced that Star Trek was renewed for a second season. Um, so that was probably a, a fun thing to hear at that point. Mm-hmm. And then Shatner's father actually died during the filming of this episode. He, was, he received a call on the set from his mother that his father had died and the crew was ready to shut down production, but he insisted on continuing. So the, the scene of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy discussing the silicon spheres and the murderers was originally in the Enterprise briefing room. But because of the death of his father, they actually rewrote that to be set in the office that you see it in instead so that they wouldn't slow down the filming and um, Shatner could get out of there earlier. But he insisted on continuing filming through that. And actually, the, the hoarder costume, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Yano's Prohashka, he made the costume he wore it into Gene L. Kuhn's office just to show him that this is what he made. And then they decided to build a story around it. So this this story was actually just built around somebody playing around making a costume that they thought looked cool. That's awesome. And the, I think, it was, yeah, it was written in four days. So <laughs> for <laughs> such a great episode, they just, they turned it around really quickly. Shatner staying to film that is a very Kirk thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's great that they just try to do it on the existing sets they were on too, so that it wouldn't slow things down. It probably actually makes it a better show overall. I don't think you really needed to have to go back. Yeah, because I, I liked how, how it was mostly there on, uh, what was it, Janus 2? Four, maybe? Was it Janus Four? Janus Four, I think. Yeah, it's a different look, eh? Um, so a couple other things in this. This is actually the first time that you hear the "I'm a doctor, not a whatever" quote. In this case, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. 
technically, though, you could count uh, back on a Corvamite maneuver when when McCoy says, what am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor is the first one. <laughs> true, true. Fair enough. Well, that, I guess because Gene Alcun wrote this, he was uh, he's always credited for the I'm a doctor quote. This was the only teaser of a TOS episode that didn't involve any of the crew. So the teaser was just the minor. Hmm. There's no Kirk or Kirk and crew weren't there at all. That was the first time. And it's actually the first and only episode hmm. that there weren't any female speaking parts, which I was really, I didn't think about when I was watching it then. I read that and I watched again and it's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. You know what? To be honest, I was so engrossed in that episode. It, it wasn't until I went back and realized that I even noticed it as well. Yeah. And and one thing I do have to say about, about one of the miners that we first meet is poor Schmitter. He was a good man. You'll be okay. Don't worry. Just stay here where everybody else is dying. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good scream. <laughs> he took one for the team. Yeah. Well, I guess there is one big difference in the original script. There was no mind meld. Uh, the original story had really? some device called a trans translator. And Spock's telepathic. It allowed him to focus this device more effectively. And there was actually back in when they were making this episode, the December 5th out, outline, the mind melts part of the story. And Gino Kuhn described it as a Vulcan, a Vulcanian technique of empathy, extremely, dip, extremely difficult, quite painful, and horribly embarrassing to such guarded creatures as the Vulcanian, since it entails the complete lowering of mental barriers and a complete mental exposure. So just even the mention of the word Vulcanian, I don't think we heard that much yeah. afterwards, but... It was an interesting little piece there. This is basically where the uh, Vulcan mind melt started. Hmm. That's very and interesting. And just one other piece of little trivia that I found that I couldn't ignore. Um, the Horta is actually a piece of mining equipment that a Canadian company developed, Inco, in the late 1990s. It's an automated solution... Hmm. Um, for the problem of position and location in underground mines. And they actually made, they named it the Horta as a backronym specifically for this episode of TOS. Yeah, and it that stands for cool. oh, hey. Honeywell Ore Retrieval and Tunneling Aid. <laughs> so it's a mouthful. But yeah, they specifically <laughs> nice. made it for this episode. So it was just a fun little thing that I found out there. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, another thing kind of related to this episode, uh, when when Spock first comes in contact with the Horda and does his scream, that that scream is used in uh Information Society's uh What's on Your or I wanna know the I wanna know what you're thinking song. Oh really? Yes. Oh. So whenever you guys give listen to that song again, li- listen for it. So I'll so never not hear it Google. again. You can get down such a rabbit hole with it and find all kinds of stuff, eh? Mm. Well, I guess I, for for me, I actually, I I I think I actually learned that from my dad, from him talking about it, because you know it does it does have pure energy there from uh, Aaron and Mercy, but he also mentioned the 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 scream from from Devil in the Dark. I was gonna say um, another thing. They also used uh, the 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 image of him for first contacting the Horda. I think for the new cover of uh, Entropy Effect. 
the one from uh, the 40th anniversary. Oh, right. That is, that's really neat. So also just to go back and, and touch Mike on what you said about the no mind meld, um, for me, that was one of the highlights of the episode. I, I found that Spock showed some surprising compassion towards the Horta. Um, and, you know, it, it also showed us looks could be deceiving. And I, I found that for the plot, it was a really good use of a mind meld because we did get to realize that, hey, this Horta isn't just a mindless creature. It's, it's here for a reason and it's doing these things for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a, a 180 on your typical 1960s monster episode. Normally in the monster, you got to kill the monster, right? Mm-hmm. Or is this one? And Spock yeah. was really the one that was all about killing the Horta until he basically met it and, and went through this process. Yeah. Well, actually, at first, he, he was saying that the, they should probably keep it for, for study. But then once, once Kirk's life was in danger, he was like, no, you should kill it and save yourself. Right. And what I liked about Kirk in this episode is I found he was very effective as a captain. He mm-hmm. did the negotiating. He negotiated the needs of the Horda. He negotiated the needs of the miners. And he came to an equitable solution. It's pretty courageous, too, standing there in front of this creature and not shooting at it right away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Bones, I mean, we got that famous line because of his creativity. You know, like... He's never treated a silicone-based creature before, and here he is patching him up just like a bricklayer. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really like Kirk's uh, retort to that: "Was you're you're a physician? There's a patient." Yes, yeah, and and I found that it really, uh, really reached into Bones's uh, creativity mm-hmm. and compassion as a doctor. So, all in all, I found this was a very essential Kirk episode, and it was to me, it was really fun science fiction. And, I mean, the banter with the three of them. I mean, you can't be beat. This is one of the best episodes for that. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Another <clears throat> another good point to, to bring up with this episode. Um, really, it it's kind of telling us that we need to not just look at the surface of things, but kind of understand why certain things are happening. Yes. Which yeah, you... you can definitely draw a parallel to what's going on around the world today with that. It's also just not assuming that you're innocent and everything. It could be something that you're doing that's yeah. leading to these actions that you're not aware of. And you wouldn't be aware of until you step back and really looked at the situation. And the use of the Horda eggs as prop was really good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are just... Uh, <laughs> Like little bouncy balls, too, that is painted them. <laughs> but, you know, for the time, I, I, I loved everything about this episode. It, it was just a lot of fun to get into, and it was an adventure. Yeah, like I guess they didn't really have to do a whole lot between the original and the remastered on that. Um, one of the things they, they did change was, you know, when you see the hoarder coming out of the, going in and out of the tunnels and stuff. But other than that, I mean, it's just a few, or, you know, different, making the the planet actually looked like a completely different planet and not just uh, Earth with a red tint over it. Uh, there were, wasn't really much much uh, remastering to do on this one. Yeah, for being a, a monster episode, per se, it was really a character-based episode that the characters drove the mm-hmm. whole story. Mm-hmm. 
And it was really interesting to see them kind of out, not out of their element, but out of the Enterprise and on a planet. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the episodes where Kirk and Spock really have to work together. And Spock's logical, his first kind of instinct is logic. And like even when, like you say, Chris, once the, the Horde has got Kirk, he's, you know, shoot it right away. Whereas Kirk kind of takes mm-hmm. that and measures it a bit. And that's what leads to them eventually coming to a, to a peaceful resolution for this that benefits both sides. He was a true captain. And I, and I really like how, how Kirk, you know, was, was ready to fire in case the Horda made a move, but waited for, that, for the Horda to make the move before firing. Yes. And it's one of those where I think, I think the Horda also knew that, hey, you know, this guy kind of seems important, so let me hold off and see if I can stall as well. Well, he wasn't twitchy finger about firing either. He put the phaser up when he got too close, so then the Horda could see, okay, I'm too close, mm-hmm. go back a bit. And just that interaction of Horder coming closer and putting up the phaser but not firing, it kind of started to gain that trust of they're not just here to kill me for the Horder probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was effective communication. Yeah, just showing how you can communicate through body language as opposed to having to worry about language itself. I mean, to get to the end, they had to get Spock in there and do the mind melt and, and go that route, but it just shows that no matter how alien or or different something is, you can always communicate at some level if you try. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as uh, creatures that are, are made from different elements than, than carbon, how do you think this one kind of fit, fits in? Do you think it'd be about what, what we're supposed to, to see here? You know, spaghetti and meatballs are a chunk of lava moving? <laughs> I think it was extremely creative. I think that uh, the eggs were so smooth and so perfectly round compared to the Horda being, I don't want to say a mess, but it is a tangled mess of of Horda. Yeah. Um, So I think the aesthetic there was a little bit different. Like maybe they could have put some texture on the eggs or something to match the creature more. Um, But it does make me want to know what the babies look like. Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, a miniaturized version of what we see yeah. or <clears throat> if it if it's got like a, a caterpillar form type of thing yeah is it a larvae based type baby or yeah but i did find the use of a different life form very intriguing and and i really thought it brought out bones's ability yeah just to be creative with healing something and just thinking about it in a different way so, i mean to kirk's point he's a healer so just take what you would do with a humanoid and apply that same the same type of treatment but think about the different materials you're gonna mm-hmm. have to use for it and just the smile on his face when he's feels like he can heal anything now because he's patched together a silicon-based life form <laughs> he was smiling with the cement over his hand yeah and, and w- wouldn't awesome. you act the same way if you found that out <laughs> absolutely yeah, I'm surprised you whip out some brandy or something and just <laughs> toast to it, being, being bones. But it is definitely one of the... Like, you think about the um, the Horda when you think about this episode, but really it's it's a classic episode because of the the characters in it. And they're, like you are saying, Allie, they're um, 
their banter back and forth and how Kirk handles this situation and that's really what makes this a classic episode not just the fact that it's got the Horda in it I think the Horda was was kind of the highlight of the friendship that the three of them have or maybe not just the friendship but the banter and, and what they have between the three of them yeah like almost in my mind I started thinking of once this was all done maybe they go up on the surface and they start a campfire and they hang out with the Horda roast the marshmallows <laughs> I just had that picture in my head watching this episode it just seemed like that kind of an episode for the three characters together just bantering back and forth and yeah and I want to change my original um, uh, favorite episodes to add this one as well that, 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 that's quite alright <laughs> I think we'll be doing that a lot <laughs> I have a Every feeling we will be too old episodes again I just started doing another rewatch of it when we started getting this podcast together again and I forget little pieces of every episode and then I realized that what makes it a great episode once you get past the 60s colors and some of the costumes I mean and then the hoarder looks like a bit of a, a bit of a piece of pizza and sometimes but that that never bothered me no. I mean when I when I watch Star Trek any any Star Trek or any science fiction really I I get lost in the story versus the aesthetic I think of it. A, that's its strength, really, especially the original. People still watch it now in 2020, yes. 50 years later, mm-hmm. and they get enjoyment out of it, even though the production values are so much lower than they are today, right? Mm-hmm. But they did it in such a way that, I mean, you could use your imagination, and you do think that they're actually pressing buttons or crossing wires or whatever they're doing, yeah. so... And it's it's just one of those where I I won't understand how how people won't get that hey yeah it is a different aesthetic but don't don't worry about that just pay attention to what's happening on the screen yeah yeah and I like that when they remastered it they didn't remaster everything they remastered things that added to the story in some way mm-hmm. like where the hoarder mm-hmm. was com- hoarder was coming through the wall I mean really you could have spent a lot of money and digitally replace the hoarder entirely but you didn't need to do that for the story and i'm glad they didn't because it really preserves what that episode was Mm -hmm. yeah like i'll I'll watch the original series with my daughters they're six and eight and they never they never laugh about the effects or anything they never even mention the effects they just like the stories Yeah, and that's the good thing about the original. The stories were so good. They, it was good enough to carry the string computers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest things I don't get to why why people <clears throat> complain about, you know, the look on Discovery, say. Because... Yeah, just enjoy it. Exactly, because, you know, if they did the exact same thing that they did in the 60s, with, you know, the cardboard cutouts and the string for, for wires people nowadays just would be like dude what the hell it just puts mm-hmm. up a barrier to entry for new new fans like mm-hmm. it's i get the people that are this is what the enterprise looked like it should always look like that but at the end of the day if you want to keep growing the fan base past the the original fan base you can't put up those barriers for them and why not use new exactly. technology when it comes along to make it look neat 
Exactly. And I mean, Discovery to me personally is beautiful. It is so beautiful. It's an amazing show for production values. The money they've put into that show is insane. I can't wait for season three. <laughs> they film it in Canada. Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> so so we can blame Canada for actually a good thing. Getting us more Star Trek. We're nice like Shatter that up here. <laughs> We're nice like that. <laughs> well, you know. I wasn't going to go there. Yeah, no, this is... This is um, every time I come back to this episode, I can just watch it over and over again. It is one of those episodes, yeah. And that's why it's on our essential uh, TOS podcast. The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin timeline podcast, is hosted and produced by Allie Black, myself, Chris Hill, and Mike Burse, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Voyages, be sure to follow The Voyages TOS on Twitter and Facebook. You can find Allie on Twitter at Enzo underscore McAllen with two C's and two L's, myself at the Chris Hill, and Mike is on Twitter at MikeBurst6. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus in the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, remember that risk is our business. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And it's just that, that in the sense of why. Why do they do that? Mm -hmm. Why would you need to do that? And I love that having kids makes you really, sometimes you kind of, you think about it, but then you kind of pass over it because, I mean, you get older and you kind of see some of the stuff. But they just remind you, like, why? Right. Why is somebody doing this to somebody? It doesn't make sense. So that, that was a good thing to pull out. You have to be carefully taught, to quote a lyric from South Pacific. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for The Vedic Assembly, a DS9 podcast. What flavor would I Jello that hasn't set yet. <laughs> flavor, he would be orange. You reckon he'd be orange flavored? He'd be orange flavored. Not just because he's got orange goo. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, it would be weird if he were a flavor and he were orange colored goo and you tasted it and it was like lime. That would be disconcerting. Be surprised. So, yes. He's... But I say like, like <laughs> bitter orange, you know? Yeah. Bitter orange Like a blood orange. Yeah. Blood orange Odo. Yes. Oh, now I would totally eat Odo. Let's do now. that. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. The orangey skin makes me think of something else. Makes you think nowadays. of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and, and bad hair. Oh my God. He's Kazon. Donald Trump is Kazon. Trump is Kazon. Oh my God. I'm surprised he's not calling himself Marge Trump. Because he's not very bright either. No. It fits perfectly. I understand it all now. We've we've just been taken over by the Kazon. And we didn't even realize it. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listeners, we've just solved the mystery of the last four years in the United States. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.